Before we start, I have to admit this is the first time I'm doing this, Sunday afternoon talk. And I want to be honest. If you expect the usual thing, you will be disappointed today. Because I will invite you into something possibly very challenging. I invite you not to listen to a talk. I invite you in the next two hours or so into a workshop. That means active participation. In fact, in my understanding, listening to a Dhamma talk is active participation. Or not? But you will be invited to much more than just listening. You will be invited into practice. Possibly very challenging practice if you are very English. As you can hear probably from my accent, I'm not English. Sometimes I delight in it, sometimes I'm ashamed of it. So do forgive me, please, if I culturally also challenge you. I prefer not to talk in a way which you might say something like beating around the bush. Sorry, this is probably not what you get. You might hear words out of this mouse, mind and heart, which normally monks would not speak. Partially this is intentional, partially maybe not. Partially it's for teaching purposes. So you might experience emotions today which you don't expect. Basically, you're invited into life, into interaction, into relationship. As I'm speaking these words, I feel my body trembling because of nervousness, because of all this attention I get, because of what? Because there's a lack of relaxation. But in fact, just the very fact that I'm aware of what's happening in the body, that's very helpful, isn't it? Being aware of tension. So what can I do right now? Pause. Feeling the heat in my head. the heart beating faster than normal. Feeling the benefits of slowing down what I speak. Is this watching the mouth? Watching my verbal actions? I'd like to invite us to start with a minute or two of silence where I invite you to fully arrive. If you want, watch your mouse and watch your maybe expectations you bring here. If you come because of this topic, if you are a multiple offender or you know, kind of coming here every Sunday for so and so many years. Offender, I don't mean that in a negative sense, you know, but there are people known to come here more than once. That's fact. That's truth. Why? Why do you come here? Why are you here? How are you here right now? So when we are silent, you are invited to really take stock, to pause, to feel the body, the mind, the heart. And whatever you feel, tiredness, excitement, maybe already now annoyance, I don't know. Just know. This quality of mindfulness, of sati, remembering to come back to the moment. Knowing how we are. Knowing how we are. This is such a powerful practice which often we forget. This is a, you know, the experience of death. 
heedlessness. That's in the moment. We live life as being dead already. You know very well, if you are a multiple offender, how Lumpur Sumedha was stretching, you know. Mindlessness is the path, no, mindless, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. So what is mindlessness then? Yeah? So we have a minute or so to really arrive, feel your body, mind, heart. How are things right now? What do you bring? What brings you here? And are there any expectations? And then if you reflect for half a minute or so on what would you say, share on this topic? Watch your mouse. The value or benefit of right speech. I think everyone here has experience with this, or not? So we have a generous minute or so of silence. Just notice the effects of this, whatever, 60, 80, 100 seconds of silence. What is your experience, actually? What has changed? What has shifted? For me, there's a tremendous difference in this body-mind, and also what I sense, call it atmosphere, in the room or field or whatever you want to call it. It's a difference, a remarkable difference. So I brought some tools to support my practice of dealing with forgetfulness. You know, mindfulness, as you know, is the basic, uh, basic meaning is remembering. But I often forget. So we have this, I mean, sometimes people have it on iPhones or different devices in their pockets. As monks don't have so much pockets to carry around, we have these bags. So I put this timer, and every 15 minutes or so, it will remind me, us actually, you're also invited then, to pause. So there will be a bell soon, if it works. Ah. So when I hear, or we hear this bell, this is an invitation to pause. This is an invitation to what I call, or one of my teachers, the Venerable Yoga Vajrahula calls, M&M &M meditation. It's like these little sweets, you know, very colorful, very round, very sweet, and very popular with children, with school groups, with family camp attenders. Manageable. A mini meditation, a minute meditation. An invitation to pause. An invitation to watch your mouse, your heart, your mind, your body, watch everything what is there. People who do know me a little bit know... I'm not very good in watching my mouse. Some people call me the troublemaker. And sometimes I have to admit, you see, even the microphone bends. And sometimes I have to admit, I take foolishly pride in this. 
keeps politely silent. So I have difficulties watching my mind, uh, my mind, yes, also, my mouse, you know. So even so, my eyes are so close to my mouse, but it's very difficult to watch, is it? So there's a wonderful tool. You can watch your mouse. This tool is called mirror, right? And have you ever noticed spiritual teachings which point to the mirror? That the world which we experience, our dear friends or foes or something in between, are like a mirror. I have great difficulties watching my mouse, but my friends, my mirrors, do much better. Sometimes in a very, for me, unpleasant way when they point out, wow, Sukhachito, again, you lift more Dukachito than Sukhachito. Yeah? <laughs> or when they comment on something, what I say, and this, again, watch what monks sometimes do say. The monk's name I was given and I was attaching to because I was offered a different monk name at my Upasampada, my full monk's ordination, but I wanted to stick to this name, attachment, suffering. Sukha Chito. Sukha, happiness, the opposite of Dukkha. Chito, mind, heart. Happy heart, happy mind. H-H. Not to confuse with His Holiness, please. Why this name? There's only good names, as you know, in, in Pali for monks or nuns. Every single name is a good name and a challenge for us to live up to. But I managed perfectly to live up to this name. He knows what comes. <laughs> yeah. Because happy heart, monk, makes always people happy. What a statement, isn't it? This sounds very arrogant, doesn't it? But it's true. Because sometimes when I'm there, I speak or I'm silent, people are happy. But at least when I go or stop, people are happy. And as we might laugh at this, this is a deep teaching, actually. How do we relate to the world? Can I make my companion, my friend, a source for happiness or unhappiness? Do I blame you? You notice this change of pitch of voice? When I said you? Do you notice your reaction also? It's much more than I make your eardrums vibrating, which I did all the time, in case you haven't noticed. I'm a kind of vibrator. Not what you might think, but this act of communication is, as we all know, something extremely powerful, isn't it? It's a very relational act, usually. Exceptions are people which you might also know who kind of just, you know, it's a nice day, funny and great, who sing to themselves, who speak to themselves, who are... What do they do? They just verbalize what we do silently. Are we, sorry... I do silently at times. I heard, I think it was one of these famous American meditation teachers, you know, as a meditation advice to dealing with distracting thoughts in meditation, imagine your thoughts coming and entering and leaving the mind after they have been thought through or not thought through properly, I don't know. Imagine they would be transmitted over the speaker, like these thoughts are now transmitted over the speaker. So imagine you sit in meditation, and there's a device connected to your brain or whatever, yeah, transmitting your thoughts over the speaker. Wow, that's interesting. That keeps me from falling asleep, I tell you. How embarrassing, or how inspiring to watch your thoughts more carefully. Now imagine everybody 
would have such a device. So you would hear other people's wonderful wise thoughts as well. Or maybe not so wise thoughts. Again, what are we talking about? We are sitting in the same boat. We are sisters and brothers in being born, getting sick, old, and finally die. And in the meantime, experiencing things. Nice things, not so nice, pleasant, unpleasant. We are praised or blamed, experience happiness, unhappiness, up and down, in and out, depressed and you know the opposite, manic, success, failure, being famous and then the opposite. Eight worldly dhammas up and down, back and forth, again and again. After we are dying, what's then? Again. And again and again and again. Samsara. It's like an onion, yeah? On, eon, 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 eon. It goes on and on, and in the middle is the idea of I. And what is the nature of onion? You peel one layer after the other, what do you discover? The essence of the onion. Here we are. Samsara makes us cry, right? So does the onion. Sometimes because of pain, sometimes because of happiness or gratitude. So, speech, speaking, if it's not to ourselves, or like what we do in meditation, first of all, the connection between thinking and speaking. When we look at the Noble Eightfold Path, you know, how it's the order, right view, right intention, or right thinking, right speech. Why did the Buddha put right speech first as one of the three links describing his recommendation for how to live our ethical behavior, our intention not to harm others or ourselves? Why did he put speech first? Accident? Probably not. Because it's so powerful. It can tre create tremendous intimacy, harmony, understanding, liberation. Remember, all the countless beings who were awakened or partially awakened after, during Buddha's discourses, discourses of enlightened nuns or monks, or partially enlightened monks, countless beings. With this practice of listening, speaking and listening, got their insights. The penny dropped. So, will I fail if your penny doesn't drop today? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the conditions are not right. Obviously, I'm not the Buddha. Obviously, I'm not enlightened. So, what to expect? But we do know and you know from your own experience, actually people pay a lot of money for talking and people listening attentively, mindfully, with compassion, right? We call this therapy. Right? People pay a lot of money. And there's a few kind of people in the room here who make their living with this, or partially of their living. You can maybe include monks and nuns with that, I'm not sure. Usually we are better in kind of, you know, the one-way communication. The style of communication which does what if it's one-way communication? Often it sends me to sleep, I have to admit. I'm not proud of that one. But watch me in the hall, if I'm in the hall, in the evening. Dim light, and I fall asleep in front of Lungpo Sumedho, Ajahn Amaro, His Holiness Dalai Lama, and other great beings. <laughs> Why? Because of lack of mindfulness. Obviously. Lack of interest? No, not really. I don't think so. 
strong habit for sure. You know, if they would talk at five in the morning, I wouldn't fall asleep. Like Ajahn Buddha Dasa in his last years when he was living, when I was living in Watsuanmok in South Thailand, he was talking at five in the morning. Great time. Especially when after 5.30 the roosters start to fly down from the trees and, you know, be close to the microphone. <coughs> Again, watch what you just experienced. Watch your emotional reactions to words or sounds. It's something very powerful. Speaking and listening goes together if communication happens. I can't see the people sitting in the back on the floor, but so far, the audience here, nobody has fallen asleep yet. And you will not if I, you know, vary the pitch of my voice. As long as I tell you the truth and you believe it, you will be liberated, will you? And I feel the tension, not just in my belly, in my, you know, finger, the way the truths are one. Believe in the Dharma and you will experience peace. The words are right, right? Or not? This is right speech. How is your reaction? How is your response to this interaction, to this relationship? Acting or not, we do respond to this interaction. You respond to silence. To soft-spoken words. To an intention to connect. Or to an intention to preach to you. I know because I am a monk. Because I know the Dhamma. And you, you are lay people. Yeah? You get it? So, you better listen to me. That's why you come, don't you? You don't go out for a Sunday afternoon walk, do you? Again. What is our reaction? Why you don't walk out? Wouldn't that be an appropriate thing? If somebody keeps on talking like that? And talking is one thing. Do you know how much or little of communication the actual words are? according to modern studies. Do you know? Do you have a guess? Any guesses? 10%. How much? Three. Bingo. <laughs> Seven. And the other? And the other? Where did you get that from? Do you know the source? Again, notice this pause. What does it do to your quality of listening? To my sense of getting carried away? Does it help to feel the body? To be aware of the feelings? Vedana? Mind states? Dhamma? Does it help to support your practice of satipatthana? Foundations of mindfulness? Holistic approach to meditation? Could you hear what this lady, what's your name? Rachel. Did you hear what Rachel said? That's what, thus have I heard. And true or not, it's not a matter for me about, you know, 
percentages, but what this modern study says is more than half of communication happens with body language. And please observe how you respond. I'm really inspired by your presence. Well spoken. I think you got the percentage right. The Dhamma leads to relaxation of body and mind. You experience peace in the moment. You don't feel tension anymore. Don't feel pressured by responsibilities. Life can be quite cool. So more than 50% can be body language. 38, whatever percent, according to these studies. The voice, the melody of the voice. Did you hear emotions with voice? The state of being? Do you hear sadness? If I start to talk about, you know, the loss of my father or brother, can you hear the change in my voice? Can you hear my potential tears coming out of my eyes? Can you hear this quality of silence? It's very different than before. When I say hear, I mean also watching. Sensing. Energies. The speed with which we talk has a great impact on the communication we do, doesn't it? If we speak very fast, we get as much truth in as possible, in as economical terms as possible. Because we have only an hour to speak about the truth, so we need to be very clear and very precise. We have to fulfill our schedule and, you know, duties, don't we? Because if you do live in a country like Switzerland, where things are not going so fast, it is wonderful in training your patience as we do know the Buddha was praising the practice of patience. Kanti, this is the highest practice. And your internal reaction, my goodness, my Buddha-ness, keep on, gosh, you know, can't he speed up? Get it out, my friend, or foe. Doesn't it have to take ages? Years back when I was living in Switzerland, I was living in the company of good friends called Sangha. And because I've done, and I'm still doing this regularly, caused so much harm with not watching my mouse, I was quite inspired by this teaching of Marshall Rosenberg called Nonviolent Communication. And in case you haven't heard about this, it's really wonderful Dharma-compatible practice, NVC, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Wonderful man, Bodhisattva, from my point of view. I told him once. And I'm not telling this easy to people, believe me or not. 
So, I have, or now I have to say I had wonderful parents, now I have a wonderful mother. And they are very generous. You know, if I wish things, they usually help me. Not with everything, but usually. So I had this idea, I like this book, Nonviolent Communication, Gewaltfreie Kommunikation. And I was speaking to my mom on the phone. And as usual, she's not very good, efficient with writing things down. Like ISBN numbers, you say in English? ISBN, these book numbers, huh? I got extremely impatient. Imagine a situation, I was ordering, or kind of, actually I was ordering, not requesting, you know. I had a wish, nonviolent communication. I was really practicing violent <laughs> communication. Yeah? Mom! You know, three, four, seven, nine. Yeah? And I was so impatient and charged, and oh gosh, you know. And my dear Anagarika, Anjan Anagarika came in and Sukachito. Thank you. Violence in action. With the wish, desire to practice nonviolent communication. How ridiculous, right? But this is how I experience life, especially with family. The spiritual family. Actually, do you guess why nobody is here? <laughs> None of the nuns or monks? I could give some good reasons why they are not here, but the real reason I'm not going to tell you. Yeah? There are reasons for that. They're wise people, you know. <laughs> they know what is wholesome and unwholesome. Sometimes very challenging to be with these friends I live with. But this is really peanuts compared to family. Really peanuts. And when I say this, I say this in great respect for the generosity, the kindness, the care I have received from all of my family, blood family. And I say this in great respect for the failures of my own practice. I know when I get impatient, you know, when I get kind of caught in aggression, <coughs> restlessness, old habits, I know my mom, my sister, or before my father or brother, before they died, are not to blame. I know that. But, yes, but, you know that one? Yes, but. The habits are so strong of mindlessness, of blaming the other for my happiness or unhappiness. Blaming the world, the monastery, your children, parents, the weather, the climate change, the politics. You have your favorite objects, subjects for blaming, right? And if we would ask into the hall, there would be a I would guess, interesting collection of objects, subjects, themes, topics, environments, jobs, you know, gadgets, which are to blame, to be blamed for our happiness or unhappiness. Where's our refuge? Speech is a powerful thing. Body speech, yeah? Tone of voice, and this only 7% of words are extremely important, right? Extremely important, only 7%. Why did the Buddha was so precise 
For instance, you hear Dharma teachers or I don't know who, monks, nuns, lay teachers, talking about new, you know, pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, neutral feelings, right? The Buddha wasn't teaching about neutral feelings. He never used such a word, according to my knowledge. He was very precise, neither unpleasant nor pleasant sensation. It's a great difference in my understanding. And very precise, you know, why does the Pali language have so many precisions talking about the mind, mental development, manu, citta, vijnana, yeah? thinking, heart, consciousness, all aspects of the mind. Feeling, a very confusing term in English language or German language. Very confusing. Very confusing translation for the Pali word Vedana, I think. Sense impression maybe is much more uh, appropriate. And we could name numerous other examples. How can we watch our mouth? You see, getting older, I don't have so many more, mm, not so many more pimples around the lips. It doesn't help much looking into the mirror. Sometimes it does in terms of what state are we in? Are we relaxed? There's a therapeutical tool, I think, where you stand in front of the mirror and smile. Very powerful practice, actually. You don't have to stand in front of the mirror. Last week when I was walking in my hometown, trying to support my mother, I was walking under these very kind of ancient trees, and there was a circle, and I think they were practicing laughing yoga. When they saw me, they stopped laughing. <laughs> it looked very serious. And after I've been in due distance, they started to laugh again. Body language, and again, sometimes, you know, when you really pay attention to especially facial muscles, there's so much tension, so much holding often in our life, in our face, especially the areas around the eyes and the mouth. Just feel it right now. Are we relaxed in the mouth? Again, notice this quality of mindfulness, having a minute or half a minute, whatever, of generous invitation to feel the body, to have a pause from listening. There's so much tension often in the face. When we really practice mindfulness with the body, we notice the tension, right? Where does speech come from? How does speech come into being? How is speech born? It comes out of thinking, right? Where does the thinking come from? Out of feeling, emotion? Why do we speak? Why do you speak? Can you open also that window, please, up? Why did I say that? To make him busy? This is a response, an urge, 
a felt urge Why does she do that? <laughs> Natural response to act compassionately rather than <laughs> It's also a natural urge, right? Her urge is different. So could you please open the window? Where does it come from? No, 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 this is just... <laughs> it comes from aversion to the heat. It comes from an urge, a need, a wish, a desire, a demand for fresh air. Open the window, quick. Please pass me the salt. I love you, my dear. What urge is that? Why do I have to say that? That's always what you say. Live it. Why do we speak? Is it a often, always, many times a response to life, to the experience of discomfort, dis-ease, dukkha, hard to bear? If I can't open the window, if I can't take the food, there's kind beings who offer the food to the monastics. Yeah? People sometimes wonder if they're not familiar with our customs, you know, and we maybe make a comment, oh, this food is nice to look at. Mm. Sometimes they pick up the hint, sometimes not. Mm, very nice to look at. Oh, it's getting close to 12. Or oh, 1, summertime, isn't it? Mm. So then we have kind beings who respond to our neediness, monastic or non-monastic. Yeah? Really what? Why do we speak? Why do we think? Habit, urge, from urge to perch. This is what, yeah, it's a different kind of karma, different kind of action, thinking. I like a bit more fresh air, so please, could you open the window? Different kind of karma, right? Thinking, I like fresh air, or acting. And then I can act in different ways, yeah? As I said before, there's different ways of saying this. If he doesn't do it, yeah, do we, am I going to do it myself? Is it a need, or is it a greed, a request or demand? What's the difference? In nonviolent communication terms, the difference is, is when the request is not met, then I normally know very clearly with my emotional response, was it a demand or a request? If he doesn't open the window, you know, I'm really getting reactive in my emotions. Of course, I'm monk and equanimous. You know, opaka, that's what the Buddha taught. Don't make suffering out of the world. I pretend to, but in reality, I'm really, you know, why doesn't he open the window? Yeah? He smiles nicely, but... Sorry, it's not to be taken personally. So really, it's worthwhile, I think, watching why we speak. The Buddha's advice to his son Rahula, watch before, while and after you speak. Is it for your own harm, for other people's harm? Is it for your own benefit, for other people's benefit? And then it helps to really slow down, to pause. Like now, for me, oh, should I look at my notes, these wonderful notes created in the last hour? No, not last hour, two hours ago. Wonderful notes. What I could have covered. Could, should. 
Reflections are reflections. Meaningful or not. They are, in my experience, more meaningful when they are embodied. You can hear wonderful preachers, wonderful in terms of content, and they turn me usually completely off. You know, I told you before, falling asleep during the... Oh, sorry. I sh oh, 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 oh. What have I said now? Oh, 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 I take that back. Highlight, delete. The computer, we can do it. But once it's out, it's out. How can I deal with it when it's out? Wrong speech. I can apologize, acknowledge, confess to noble friends like you. I can ask sincerely for forgiveness. Sometimes I can make amendments. Acknowledgement, not hiding. Oh, that just slipped my tongue because of so and so, you know. You know, I slept so little last night, so please forgive me, you know. And I'm German anyway, you know. Germans are always like this. They speak the truth, they are not kind, they are rude. You know, look at history and so on and so forth. Yeah? And look at our, you know, relationship, you know. British-German relationship, history. We ruled this country. Those days it was much better, wasn't it? And watch your reactions. Identifications. Nationalism. Buddhism. Isms. Schisms. Schisms, you call them. Schisms is like the German version of Schittisch. So I think it's clear, and I want to end this first part, because I shouldn't break this tradition of having a tea. But you won't have a tea break today, because you're invited to practice, if you want right speech. So I'd like to invite you into a little experiment. Maybe interaction comes after the break, because there's not enough time for that now. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning of the, after the tea practice session, practice session, yeah, practice session, there will be an active exercise, meditation exercise which you're invited to join. You don't have to. If you don't join, a missed chance, that's all. And now I'd just like to invite you into a very simple experiment. You can close your eyes, and you can just watch the reaction to these different words or sounds I'm doing. It helps if you have your eyes closed for this. Wonderful Thai curry, Buddha, Kastengestell Angestellter, Flower, Violence. Mary, beetroot, bhavana, bullshit, patience. Fish and ships. Death. Liberation. Ah! 
reactivity. And this could go on and on and on. And again, as demonstrated a number of times before, what happens in this act of communication? Do you have a choice, a liberation, in how you react? What are your Vedanas like, according to certain sounds? We can recondition with mindfulness and effort and persistence and repeating. Yeah? Music you didn't like in the past, you can develop a like for it. Tastes, so also, yeah? but when we talk about words, a voice which you hated once might turn into a very pleasant voice. Personality. With these kind of practices, we can refine our act of communication. Of course it makes sense, you know, to speak only the truth, not to lie. It makes sense to use kind words instead of harsh words. It makes sense to speak affectionately with loving-kindness. That's what the Buddha recommends. And then the right timing, that's challenging, isn't it? When is the right time? The measure stick of the Buddha to criticize somebody is you should be impeccable. Then I should shut up right now. Before we criticize, the Buddha recommends, or this is a monastic standard, you know, you ask permission. How is your experience when you criticize somebody and that person doesn't want to hear? Your child, your spouse, your parents, your work colleagues, your boss, your servants. How fruitful is that interaction if somebody doesn't want to hear what you have to say? Or if you have to hear something you don't want to hear? If you have to listen to something you don't want to hear? It's very tiring, isn't it? Very disconnecting. And actually, Marshall Rosenberg recommends then to interrupt that person. And when he did started doing that, he was surprised of the response. Because an interruption, I don't know, is there an English idiom like talking endlessly? And really, the other people, oh God, you can't, you can't, you know, just waiting for the hour to stop. Like teachers in school or monks and nuns at monasteries. Yeah having to fulfill the hour, the sounds of the teacups, they save you. Yeah. <laughs> you know those experiences? Very difficult, very unpolite to interrupt monastics sitting in front of microphones. But sometimes it can be a very compassionate act because you make an effort to connect again. Or sometimes when you share a certain observation or perception you have about the person, you might be totally wrong, but by sharing it, you give an opportunity to connect. Like the way you look at me, you look very sad. She told me this morning something which might, is affecting her life. So, she looked very happy right now. The death of that person probably doesn't affect you. I'm completely wrong, but by saying it, Assessing wrongly, I give her a chance to correct me, right? So that fear of being wrong sometimes undermines an opportunity to connect again with the other person, with life. Empathetically connecting. It's a natural response. What do you think? The natural response is to communicate in a way which is harmful? Do you want to lie? Do you like other people to lie to you, to speak harshly? non-affectionately, not with loving-kindness, not at the right time? Of course not. But how to practice this? How to overcome this force of habit 
society pressure, you know. Yes, but I have no time. The most recited mantra. In, maybe you have your own version of it, but basically I'm so busy. Yeah? So busy. People rushing to the meditation hall to calm down. Yeah, quick, quick. Yesterday I was late coming from London. I had to give a talk. I wasn't on time for the chanting. And I relaxed. I took a shower. I enjoyed it. I calmed down. Went to the hall after 8 o'clock, knowing my novice brother took care of it. Apologized and, you know, that's how it was. I could have stressed myself being on time. And by the way, this is not meant to encourage you to not be on time. Yeah. One of the things Ajahn Chah was very much impressed in this country was when people lined up on bus stops in London. He said, what? <laughs> they line up for the bus? And when the bus comes, that line must go, you know? No. So, right speech, truth, right time, affectionately, with kindness, and with nice words. Not sometimes what we hear. It helps to slow down, to pause. Economy in words can be very, very helpful. Few words spoken in truth can be much more meaningful than many words spoken out of habit. Few words spoken in truth can be much more meaningful than many words spoken out of habit. I think it was very obvious the way we affect each other, how speaking and listening condition each other. My impression was there was attentive listening by most of you, probably all of you. Yeah, because your body language demonstrated to me an interest. Not necessarily agreement or disagreement, but you were quite present. So don't underestimate the way we listen, how that affects the speaker. Yeah, we know that. Our responsibility. Okay, I think this is a good time to pause, to invite you into the practice of mindful tea drinking. <laughs> You're familiar with that if you come to this monastery. And as you know, this is not a silent break for most of you. Not a break, actually. You'll be invited to speak mindfully, listen mindfully, and I invite you to talk about one of the topics the Buddha recommended to talk about. And I suggest a wonderful topic, that you only talk about things with your friends or old friends or new friends, which lead or which deal with contentment. So your meditation practice in this 20 minutes or 80 minutes, whatever, we start again about 20 past three, with the exercise, and then there's some room for Q&A or your comments, your feedback. Honest feedback, please, not English kind of... You know. uh, really speak what is conducive for contentment. And that doesn't mean you cannot speak things which make you discontent, disagreement, but how can you turn that sensory stimulation, which is unpleasant, giving rise to unpleasant Vedanas and emotions, maybe? Feelings and emotions. Can you turn that into a source for contentment? Different way of looking at it. Can you be disciplined for this 15, 20 minutes? To just do that. So gratitude can be connected with that. And you can speak about the weather today. <laughs> you're so good at that, aren't you? 
Sorry. <laughs> but when the sun is shining, what a great source for contentment. So, there's more than weather and tea to be content about. I, invest the, I invite you to look deeply, to taste deeply the taste of contentment and share it freely. And watch what it does to your own contentment when you do that. You have only, you know, so and so much contentment and when you share it, it gets less? Watch. Thank you very much. <laughs>